let's put the human back in this whole thing and be the expert. And instead of letting somebody tell your story for you, which is what happens way too much in society right now, uh, people don't control their own narrative. We need to control our narrative in this space again. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 204 of the Real Estate Sessions Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I am really excited about today's episode. I saw this gentleman speak at the Inman Connect event this uh, past summer in Las Vegas, uh, and I love talking to leaders who who run big companies because it's just a little bit different. Realtors run their own startup, and that's really important for them too. But today we're going to talk to Adam Contos, the CEO of Remax, uh, over in Denver. So, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Bill. Uh, happy to be here, and uh, happy to spend a little time with your listeners. I appreciate it. So, Denver. I know you 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 live in Denver. You've worked in Denver for a long time. Can I assume you're a native? I am not a native. I was actually born in Ohio, and then uh, we moved to Virginia, and then the Texas, and then the Denver by the time I was about four years old. So you could say I'm a native. I, I grew up here, but uh, wasn't born here. I've got friends who've lived in Denver before. Uh, it's it's one of the most beautiful places in the country, but share with me something, or the audience, maybe something that we don't know about Denver. Oh boy, yeah. Um, you know, everybody thinks that we get these horrendous winters and we get a ton of snow, but we actually have over 300 sunny days a year in Denver, and we have four distinct seasons. So uh, it is truly an amazing place uh, to live and to work. Everybody seems to be moving here right now, so the traffic's getting a little worse. Ultimately, we we love being here, and living at a mile above sea level has its distinct advantages when you go somewhere else to go uh, compete in athletics or go for a jog on the on the coast. I grew up in San Diego, so when you make a trip to the to San Diego in the summertime, you're just dominating. Is that what you're trying to tell me as you're running up the beach? Oh yeah, it's great. I mean, you don't run out of air ever. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I I got to assume. I just I'll flat out just guess that you know you're in Denver now since you're a, a small child that. For you, it's Broncos, Rockies, Avalanche, Nuggets. Am I on the right track, or is there one team you like better than others? I'm a hometown boy here, so yeah, I, I like all those names, but uh, ultimately, the one that I do follow the most is the Broncos. Yeah, rightly so. I worked for the San Diego Chargers for a few years back in the 90s, and so I was actually at the Super Bowl when uh, Elway beat the Packers. That was a lot of fun, and then you've got to tell me, is it does does Denver still buzz about the what Peyton did when he got there and was able to? I mean, an older, definitely not in his prime. Peyton took you guys to the promised land. Well, it's it's funny. Yes, I mean Peyton Manning and John Elway, they're two hometown heroes here. Even though Manning came into the the city a little later in his career, but uh, he you know he worked with Elway together. Those two guys, you could. You know, you see him every now and then at golf courses or around the uh, around the community, but um, very well looked upon by people around here. And when I go to the Broncos games, I wear a Manning jersey. Still a, a big guy in the, uh, the high city. Like many of the guests on this podcast, very few knew a career in real estate was waiting for him as they entered college. Is it safe to assume that's the same for you? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my first exposure to uh, real estate was probably in the early to mid 80s. My friend's mom was a Remax agent and we used to sit there and flip through MLS books. But 
that was pretty much the only exposure I had to real estate until probably about, I don't know, 18 to 20 years ago. So uh, it was, it was a big gap and no, I did. I didn't plan on getting into this business originally at all. So in college, what was your field of study? I grew up the child of a law enforcement officer. My dad was in federal law enforcement. His dad was in law enforcement. Uh, all my cousins and aunt, or uncles were in law enforcement. So we all wanted to be, be police officers somewhere. So I, I studied criminal justice, and that was the uh, career path I originally took. In your history, as I did a little homework and research, you're a Marine Corps reservist, and you're also, you were with the uh, Sheriff's Department in Douglas County and ended up running a SWAT team. I mean, so when you say law enforcement, you're, you're, you were all in, correct? Law enforcement special operations was kind of a passion of mine. I wanted to always be the best of the best, which is why the day after I graduated high school, I decided I'd find myself in Marine Corps boot camp. So I wanted to do something as deep into law enforcement as I possibly could. And uh, chasing bad guys and kicking doors and things like that was really uh, one of my passions and, and the, the brethren, the camaraderie, things like that, that you experience with it, as well as the drive to be the very best of the best was uh, truly something I, I worked for every day. It's safe to say, and you, you hear this a lot, that people talk about, you know, coming out of the military, right, um, which is part of your background as well, and even law enforcement, that leadership is kind of baked into those careers. Is that a, is that a safe way, kind of a safe assessment of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess ultimately, you look at the situations that first responders, military, uh, people in critical incidents are put into, and you have to develop a passion for problem solving and decision making. And ultimately, that's one of the, you know, one of the key traits of a a good leader is is a problem solver. Somebody who can come in, look at a bad situation, earn the trust and confidence of people uh, involved in that, and make a decision to help move the situation forward. You know, kind of like real estate. You think about it, it's exactly what you have to do, right? If if you can if you can identify and help someone with an issue, you you might have a customer for life. Just thinking. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It, <laughs> think about. I mean, everybody that's listening to this, you know, it's if you can focus on your decision making skills and and creating a win win. Uh, there's definitely a you know a business takeaway from that one. Your first work with Remax was as an independent contractor, right? You were. I'd like for you to share the details of what you did for them, and I think this is about 15 years ago. Am I right? Yes. 2003, I had a security consulting company that I had started. I've always been an entrepreneur. I had started an online business in the late 90s and then a security consulting company in the early 2000s. And I was doing homeland security consulting, a lot of threat assessments, vulnerability assessments, and corporate training for employees on, on how to prevent people from breaking in or victimizing businesses as well as victimizing the employees. So I had approached Remax with a real estate agent safety program that I had developed and they were very interested in it and purchased the program from me in 2003 and sent me all over North America teaching the course to real estate agents and brokerages. From that, from going around the country, you you had to have caught the eye of someone at the company because it wasn't much longer after that that you end up starting, you know, like in a business development role there, kind of I think in the in the western area of the country. Is that right? Yes, I had actually I'd known Dave Dave Linegar, the co-founder of Remax, before I even started doing the security consulting for Remax, and 
he really wasn't even the one who brought my program into the company. It was uh, the CEO at the time, Mark Kelly, that brought my program into the company. And Dave had watched as I traveled around and, and did the public speaking. I did a 32-city speaking tour throughout North America, as well as consulted with the franchisees, the brokers, and talked to a lot of agents. And over the course of the year that I was consulting for the company, obviously, the leadership team here had kept a a close eye on what I was doing as I was touching a lot of their customers. And uh, one day Dave called me up and said, Hey, why don't you uh, come work for me full time? Wow. So that, that gets you started in the, really in a kind of a leadership role already on a lower level with the company. Is it, I'm just going to guess them because of your relationship with Dave, it was safe to assume that he, he was a mentor and played a major role in kind of developing the skills you were going to need in the real estate industry. Yeah, that was uh, one of the questions that I had for him when he uh, invited me to the organization. As I said, well, I'd, I'd love to, but will you mentor me in this space because you are the guy in real estate? And he said, absolutely, I would love to. So I became extraordinarily vulnerable and listened to every piece of feedback the man ever gave me and implemented it. And it uh, you know, obviously worked out for me over the years, but 15 years of being mentored by Dave Leniger really is an amazing thing to experience. You talk about vulnerability. I have to ask you this question. You're a guy who you grew up, you know, you, you mentioned with your entire family in law enforcement. These are tough guys. Was it different for you to be a civilian in essence and, and know that you had to open up, kind of let someone else critique and criticize? After being on the, the SWAT team and being part of realistically what is a um, you know, kind of counterintuitively, a very vulnerable position in law enforcement because you debrief every single thing you do. Uh, mm-hmm. When you deal with a call, everybody sits around and you talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of that call. That causes you to be willing to receive feedback. And I think that's something that a lot of society has, to an extent, built a wall around and, and doesn't want to hear is somebody give them honest feedback or even ask for it. So it's counterintuitive to what you might think, you know, being the tough guys and stuff like that out there. But ultimately, you have to be willing to to listen to what you did right, what you did wrong, what you should do differently, brainstorming new ideas, things like that. And that's really the mindset that I've had uh, ever since then, because without that, you don't get a change. You don't get a, to be better or, or realize where you're slowing down your team or yourself. So I imagine you're having these conversations with the people that are following you, with the young people you're hiring into these positions that you took 15 years ago. You're letting them know this is part of where you got to be. This is how it works. Absolutely. And yeah. frankly, you know, our customers don't want to hear brokers, agents, the consumer. They don't want to hear, oh, I already know that. Or you don't need to tell me. I know what I'm doing. Things like that. Nobody wants to hear that, especially in society now. You People want to know that you're open to listening to them, to to hearing and caring about their opinion and accepting the feedback to appropriately build into your your life and your business. Well, you work your way through some regional positions, national. I think you've touched both coasts in your in your career with Remax. And you become CEO in February of 2018. I love to ask this question of those in charge. What what does a typical day look like for you? First of all, if typical is really a thing for you. Typical is absolutely a thing for me. And I think what you'll find is a lot of people that are strive to be super achievers that 
that run businesses that have really created a, a structured lifestyle that that creates success have a, a typical day. And, and for me, that that day starts at 4:30 in the morning. I get up and I I have a little routine that I go through in the morning where I listen to a broadcast by Darren Hardy. It's called the Darren Daily. It's kind of a you know a life lesson or an affirmation, but it gets you you thinking about kindness and other people, business acumen, things like that. It kind of activates your brain a little bit. Uh, I hit the gym for an hour. I come home and I, I begin at the gym. I begin learning. I'll put on a podcast or an audio book or something like that, and that extends me basically from being at the gym to my house and then from my house to work. So uh, I'll have a good hour and a half to two hours of education in before I even hit the uh, hit the office here. And then I'll start sharing with customers, interacting with customers for a period of time and then work my way into some meetings and come out of meetings, get back with my customers. And I, I make sure I build those things in every day. So I have to deliver value every day. I have to do things to learn every day. I have to work on my health every day. And then I make sure that I touch base with my family throughout the day and let them know that I love them. Um, Cause you know, you never know when, when you're not going to get that opportunity. So uh, those things are all very structured in my life. First of all, that's amazing. And I don't think I've heard it said that way before. So uh, congratulations on creating, you know, this, uh, this system for success, I guess. I mean, it sounds kind of hokey, but it's really what you've, it's really what you've done. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I mastermind with quite a few other uh, really high-performing business leaders and uh, entrepreneurs, and it is kind of a commonality amongst a lot of these folks. So it's like this this secret in society, if you will, that right. if you're willing to do these things, you you can get what you want to get, and if you're not, then you know you get what you get. <laughs> you get what you get or you get what you get. I like it. That's perfect. One thing you do that is different than a lot of the other uh, leaders in the industry is, uh, especially at the CEO level, is you actually do a lot of uh, talking about the brand. And, and even you have a podcast out there now called Start With a Win. Can you can you explain the, the story behind that whole concept? Sure. So probably a year ago, I was talking to my team, uh, my communications team, and we were talking about what would a podcast look like for for me to do. And they said, have you ever done a podcast? I said, nope, never done one, but I but, uh, would love to try. And we took a look at that and thought, well, what would we talk about? Well, it's all the stuff that I talk to them about every day anyway, which is these different concepts, you know, some of which we went through, you know, getting up at 4.30 and why you do the things that you do and and the reasoning behind some of that. And there's so many great ideas out there, but nobody shares those ideas. And once you start hearing those ideas repetitively, you start to build some of those success principles into your day. And that's what we wanted to achieve is help people who kind of get tied up in their, you know, their daily grind, take a little break and have the opportunity to, to hear some of the success principles because you never know when you're going to give that little course correction that's going to make somebody's day or life better. So every Wednesday we release Start With a Win. You find it on... Uh, iTunes and, and Google Play or wherever your podcasts are found or start with a win.com. It's starting to get some really good traction and we're getting some great feedback of people that are enjoying listening to the message. Yeah, it's a great show. I will definitely link out to it in the show notes. It's now on my regular rotation. So 
congratulations on, on, a, on a great idea and great execution as well. So very good. Thanks, Bill. And by the way, love your podcast also. I'm honored to be on here and, and you have a great show. Well, thank you. Let me, I'm going to ask you a few questions that I'm sure some people in the audience are going, hey, Bill, that's enough. Ask us some questions about what's going on in the world today of real estate. So, so let's, sure. let's ask a couple of those. And what do you see, Adam, as, as the biggest challenge for REMAX as we you know, head into the 20s, I guess we'll call it? I, I think the biggest challenge for REMAX is really the biggest challenge for uh, all of our peers in the real estate space overall. And that's people losing track of what they're here for. And what they're here for is to serve the consumer. They're here to, to be great consultants, to build great relationships with the consumer, trust and transparency, and to take that extra step to, to create an amazing experience for the customer during the real estate sale and, and purchase process. So really, when you, when you think about that, a lot of people will do, if we, if we call the real estate transaction 100% of the process, People will do generally, they'll shoot for 60 to 80% of the process and get it done. But let's say you make it to 80%. You've done a pretty good job and you put yourself, you know, give yourself a pat on the back. So now we're 80% there. It's truly the people who are going to excel in this industry that can add 30% to that. So mm. take it to 110%. That is where you're really going to find the magic in this business. And that's what everybody needs to be focused on because that's where the, the interruptions and the disruptions and the distractors and things like that are going to drag your business away from you is if you're not willing to put that extra 30%. In. I have to comment here. I, I've been telling people for a long time that if you're not creating such a bond with people that you've worked with, that if they see an advertisement or a billboard for uh, a new iBuyer, let's say, that the first response of that person should be, oh, I should call Adam and find out what that's all about instead of going to the website, right? I mean, that's the kind of level you're talking about when you're saying 110%. Exactly. Yeah, but let's put the human back in this whole thing and be the expert and instead of letting somebody tell your story for you, which is what happens way too much in society right now. Uh, people don't control their own narrative. We need to control our narrative in this space again. Right. I think that, that message could get, keep getting spread and you're doing it with your podcast. You're doing it with your company. I think it will help us all. So let me, let me, I have to ask the obligatory iBuyer question though. And do you think there's too much, too little, just the right amount of attention being kind of, you know, focused on them? What's your, where do you see all this kind of headed? The, the interesting part about the iBuyer business model, and there are really roughly six business models in the iBuyer label or category, if you will. Uh, the reality is that uh, nobody's making money due to doing this right now. So in fact, I had uh, this funny story. I had talked to one of my peers in this space and he's doing iBuying. I said, how's this going for you? He goes, well, I didn't realize that our profit margin was the cost of a refrigerator. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, we had a refrigerator stolen out of one of our houses that we were flipping. And because we had to replace the refrigerator, now it is a net loss. So wow. it's super thin margins for the most part. And you know, you've got you've got a lot of uh, private equity money being thrown at this. So people were kind of playing it out. And I, I what I see happening is I think there's a space in the real estate market for these folks to operate if they can sustain. And that space is probably. Um, massively overlapping into the for sale by owner or the whole wholesale market. 
they're going to find a place that they like. But ultimately, what we are finding is that the average consumer wants to squeeze out as much profitability or as much return on that investment in their their home that they've created. Because we know that uh, the house is the their real estate is the largest investment that anybody makes in their retirement. So they want to get out of it what they deserve to get out of it. In order to do that, you need a good representative uh, in the marketplace, a professional to help you negotiate that process and ensure that you're not uh, putting too much liability on your shoulders in, in doing so. So there's a place for the iBuyers. I don't know exactly where they're going to fall, but I can tell you that out of 10 and a half to 11 million transaction size a year, there's going to be a place for them. It's not going to be as substantial as some people have said it is, but it's it's an interesting business model to watch and it's gotten the attention of the public. So we'll continue to operate around it and side by side with them and, and help people have great consultation in determining whether or not the iBuyer offer is what's best for them. The, the spread between the projections, right? You, you have some that say it's going to be 30% of the business by 2030. But then Mike Del Preti shows up at Inman and says, well, Morgan Stanley's analysis shows 5%. Uh, that's a radical spread, right? And I guess the question really is, where does that end up? If it's somewhere in the 10% range, that's just another little form of um, competition, but not not dramatically affecting what your good agents are doing, right? Right. And, and where are they going to get their percentage of market share from? Is it going to be the people who are just coming to the market because they're available? If that's the case, they're not taking a bite out of anybody's piece of the pie. Right. Or is it coming from the, the FISBO market? If that's the case, again, they're really not taking a bite out of anybody's piece of the pie. And they're introducing something, you know, another listing in the marketplace that is, uh, has got agent representation at some point. Or is it going to be a combination of all of the different portions of the market? And uh, if that's the case, then... Ultimately, we're still kind of dabbling in the, you know, the small gray area at the bottom of the market. The other, the other big word that we keep hearing a lot about at the national level is technology, right? You've got, you know, companies like Compass, you know, with Robert talking strictly about technology, it seems like. Gary and Keller Williams, they're doing, you know, their whole technology thing. I'd love to talk about what you're, what you did by acquiring Booge. And I, I, I have some friends that are Remax agents, and I know they were very excited earlier in August of this summer that they they've begun their training now on the platform and the pro and the process. I just wanted you to kind of share with us how that's going. Sure. Uh, in fact, we have a Bouge training class going on here today at headquarters. I was just down talking to them. Bouge is a uh, a real estate technology company, 100% real estate technology, uh, servicing nearly 40 independent real estate companies around the country for over a decade. We noticed this company just five miles up the road from us and started looking at it and benchmarked them against all the rest of the technology in the marketplace and found out that these guys truly are top shelf. I mean, they are the best of the best. So went down the road of uh, deep diligence on this whole thing, looked at them for about a year and ended up uh, acquiring the company and then doubled the size of the company to build out what we believe is the uh, best world-class industry-leading technology platform that can be stretched globally. So this is something that's never been done. Uh, there's there's not been a real estate technology platform that has stretched globally. And that's uh, really what my stated goal is, is to be the global real estate technology leader with this. So we launched the first iteration of this. It is a foundation that we're building on top of and on top of and on top of. Uh, that continues to iterate uh, as we 
learn. It's data-driven, so we watch what's going on with it and continue to upgrade and update it uh, constantly. And uh, it's super exciting. Everybody that's uh, played with it so far and is starting to uh, deploy it in their offices is, is really excited about it. There have got to be some unique challenges. You, you use the word globally twice. And I, my first thought was, wow, you're right. You're talking about, first of all, real estate's done differently in other parts of the world. And so having a tool that can adapt, that's pretty special. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the first challenge is getting it throughout the U.S. Sure. to begin with and then North America and then, then globally. But We've got some really, really smart people working on it. It's a good thing they they don't let me sit down and type code because things wouldn't be so hot. But uh, you know, realistically, you got to start somewhere. We've planted the seeds in the U.S. We're launching region by region by region, uh, multiple states here and there. And then uh, once we get U.S. done, we'll hit Canada and we'll hit global. And with our footprint in 110 different countries and territories, this phased approach will uh, continue to build out, like you said, our global footprint of real estate. And yes, there are a lot of differences, but ultimately bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, you know, real estate agent information, consumer information, things like that. There are a lot of similarities as well. Let me go back a little bit to leadership and, you know, you're in your role, I would assume, you know, you're going to do the same thing Dave did for you. And that's you're grooming the next people that are coming along. Uh, And with your experience in the military and, and law enforcement, what are, what are you looking for? What's what is someone doing or saying that you you see that person and go, wow, he or she, this is somebody I got to stay you know in touch with and connected to. I, I love that question because that, that takes me back to um, a speech that I gave on stage at our broker owner conference recently uh, to uh, a thousand of our our business leaders in, in our franchise network, and one of the things that I said in that was um, a question that you have to ask yourself and that you need to ask the people that you are bringing into your business. And that's, are you coachable? And I I look at that and that is probably the number one trait of a leader, in my opinion. So if you're coachable, you can be molded to, to work in the environment and in the systems that are most effective in your business model. So uh, you know, being a coachable is, is transparent. It's being aware. It's being caring. And it, it's always seeking knowledge in order to better yourself. So really, that's probably the the key trait that I look for in my leaders. Uh, all of my leaders in the organization here uh, do have professional business coaches. Uh, I, too, have coaches. And I'm also part of many mastermind groups. So, um, that, Bill, that would be uh, the number one thing that I would say. Adam, I've had you here the half hour I asked of your time, so I'm going to wrap it up with the same question I've asked every guest since 2015 and Jay Thompson, and and that's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? New agent just getting started, the uh, most people want to sit down and they want to take a look, take a look at what gadgets and gizmos and preparation things that uh, that they can come up with in order to build their business, but ultimately they need to build their business by building relationships. And that's what I would say that, you know, all of the tools and resources, the CRMs and the marketing pieces and everything else that we put out really ultimately should be designed to do, but there's still the great majority of that that needs to be really perfected by this new agent. 
And that's uh, the human aspect of it. They need to go out and they need to meet people. They need to, to deliver value. And as a result of uh, meeting people and delivering value, they will create a reciprocal environment where those people that they meet and build relationships with will want to do business with. So, uh, you know, deploying gratitude, being kind, and uh, going out and making a difference for other people. Adam, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? So they can find me uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, at Remax Adam Contos. Or they can, uh, they can also, of course, check out the podcast at startwithawin.com. Adam, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed watching you on stage. I've enjoyed w- listening to your podcast. I think you have a tremendous attitude and uh, this, this, you t- just mentioned gratitude and kindness. And for, for whatever reason, I just don't equate that with someone running such a large company. And it's probably me, but I, I think a lot of people agree with me that you're, you're a breath of fresh air in the industry and it's, it's been an honor to talk to you. Well, thanks, Bill. And I, I really appreciate you having me on the show today and um, you know the opportunity to, to share my thoughts with your listeners.